Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful day today, and today I am particularly thankful for freedom. I know it's not the 4th of July weekend, and I don't really think that's the only weekend we should be thankful for freedom. But freedom has its uh, caveats, you know. I'm thankful that in a country we are free to express ourselves. I think maybe our country is a little too free. Uh, But I would rather it be a little bit too free um, where people did things that maybe we didn't like or said things we didn't like uh, rather than, you know, having the the military just clamp down on us and, you know, force us to do what they want us to do, that kind of thing. Folks, we live in a very unique time and in a very unique country. And for this, we should be thankful. Amen? Amen. In Galatians, the Bible says, brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Do you know it's a calling to be free? But what the Bible reminds us of, it says, but use not liberty as an occasion to your flesh. Just because Jeff is free to sin against me because I'm going to forgive him, I'm going to love him, doesn't mean he should. Amen? The Bible says, use not our liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Do you know that's what freedom is? Freedom is is being able to serve each other in love. And I'll I'll tell you what, if you don't understand that that's what freedom is, then you really haven't really come to it. Okay? Now, we come to this truth about freedom in God's Word, and most all of you know this psalm, our call to worship today, Psalm 1. And So we're going to quote it together. If you know it, say it. But in that, what we're going to see is that the man who is truly free, it doesn't really come quite out and say this, but I'm going to help you understand what it says. The man who understands freedom is a man who loves God's word. And God's word defines freedom. Not the United States, not the U.S. Constitution or the Bill of Rights, but God's word. As it says in Psalm 1, as God calls us to worship, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. 
Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Folks, the way of freedom is life everlasting. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have called us into your presence to worship you today. Lord, that even though we are a people of unclean hands and unclean lips, Lord, you have provided a cleansing for us. Lord, you forgive us of our sins and allow us into your presence. And Lord, you said that if we would not cry out in praise to you, the very stones themselves would. Let us be those stones, Lord. Let us be those who cry out to you. Lord, we come today longing to hear your voice and hoping that you will speak to us, knowing that your words can change us and make us fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. James today. Uh, and James, as I was talking to Mr. Ratliff the other night, half asleep and doing a bad job of it, uh, is a book of wisdom. And so really what is wisdom? Wisdom is that place where we understand how to apply the knowledge that God gives us. Knowledge is like knowing what something is, like a gun or really difficult doctrine. And wisdom is when to pull the trigger, when we need to share these difficult things with people and when not to. And I was reflecting on what Mark was just talking about, why I'm here. We've been friends for a long time, and we've walked through a lot of circumstances together. And uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again today, that it only takes a lifetime. It's been 20 years this church has been in process And through that time, Mark has had to share with me wisdom, and I've had to share with him wisdom. And that's really a very valuable thing to have, wisdom. It's not something that comes cheap and easy. It's something that comes over the time that you spend in the trials so that God can make you a perfect man, perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. And the next time I teach, we'll be talking about that man in James chapter 3. He talks about the perfect man, and in the second half of that chapter, he talks about the wise man. And so we're here today to understand the perfect man and the wise man and what it looks like. And James and wisdom literature in general is to show us what things look like. Basically, it's like good advice. And good advice has to have truth. Good advice, if it's not based on truth, and truth comes from God, is not good advice. It's bad advice. It's... Common sense that doesn't come from the common pool of God's truth is not good sense. It's senselessness. The first day of school can be a very scary day. It's off into the unknown. For those of you who didn't stay home and get schooled. From the safety of the home, mom and dad, warmth, familiarity, to a cold classroom full of strangers, it is here where we take our first steps in socialization skills. We learn to compare ourselves one to another and quickly find our place in the social strata. We learn to evaluate based on what we look like, how we talk, how intelligent we are or are not. 
Are we pretty or handsome or ugly, quick or slow, athletic, gifted, not very talented? Do we have money or are we the poor kids in class who can't afford the nicer clothes? Unfortunately, it is by these standards that we learn to assign value or worth to ourselves and others. This process continues into adulthood, and to one degree or another, we'll determine how we deal with our fellow man. It's in those early formative years that last until you're old that God now has to either has to reshape, reform, or tweak if you've been raised right, according to the book of Proverbs. Loving and being loved becomes a lifelong negotiation of safe spaces. Carefully constructed behind walls that we have built to keep our hearts and kingdoms safe. Our kingdoms. And so the rat race begins, living under the sun rather than under heaven. That's from the book of, Proverbs, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is wisdom literature. Fighting and striving for our place in this world. Self-centered striving to get what we want. And I promise you that's where we all live. Even the nicest in the room. Because we're not the perfect man yet. That's why we're in trials. The book of James is written to teach us how, as we maneuver through the trials and the rapids of this life, good advice. So that we can become the perfect man, complete lacking nothing, like our Heavenly Father, in whom there are no shifting shadows. Consistently, deliberate, always the same, never moving off his spot. Christ was the perfect man. Christ was the wise man. He is our living example. I've said it many times here. We say love one another. What does that look like? This is what the book of Proverbs is about. This is what wisdom literature does. It shapes what we think about what it looks like. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end it is death. That, that piece of advice is not to tell you whether you're obeying that scripture or whether you're going to end up in a bad place. It says, hey, this is truth. This is what it looks like, and this is where it ends up. Depends which one you take. James often tells us not to be double-minded men. That's good advice. That's not him telling you you are a double-minded man. Because the truth of the matter is, half the time, we're always double-minded people. Because we're not perfect yet. We're still in formation. We're thinking this way today, and we're thinking that way tomorrow. And the idea is to get in the center. So we're thinking consistently more and more as we walk out this life. I used to read the book of James like I could pull a scripture out and be determinative about it. And I really have had to learn the book of James as I taught it. In fact, I, I taught this text today that, we, that I read uh, in two sections. I did the sin of partiality, and then I did the second section, the royal law, from verses 8 to 13. And I had it wrong. I didn't know I was supposed to put those two together to make one idea. I didn't know James was doing a parallelism, which is wisdom literature. He's showing us this, and he's contrasting it with this. I didn't know in verses 1 through uh, 7 that he was talking about love or the lack thereof. 
I thought he was talking about the sin of impartiality. See, and that's what wisdom literature does. It presents one idea, and then it either gives us the same idea, that would be a synonymous parallelism, so that we can get the idea even more, or amplify, or an antithesis. I taught uh, out of chapter 3 last week, and I had a, a picture on the overhead of the wise man. And it's a dark background with white letters. That's a contrast. So you can see in bold colors what, you, what God wants us to see. So when we're in James here, he starts off with the sin of partiality. And so often, like in the book of James, people go there and they pluck out little things and, and, and they miss it. That's why the whole uh, works and faith issue is so distorted. Because someone comes to the second half of chapter 2 and they think it's about justification. And they don't get it because the second half of that chapter is to address an issue in a wise way. So the first half of this chapter, see, uh, I, I did this on purpose. This is how my ESV Bible is written. We've done this before, this little exercise. The sin of partiality. Faith without works is dead. Now, if you read that, you're going to go, oh, okay, so that's what this section's about, and that's what this section's about. But what if this first section's not about that? What if this first section is about the royal law? And the law of liberty, as James calls it a couple of times in the book of James. What if it's not about the sin of partiality, but about the royal law and whether you live by it or not? And what it looks like when you do or don't. That's a different way of looking at this scripture. Or you could just come to it and go, oh, the sin of partiality, we're going to preach on that today. And that's okay. But if you don't have it in its proper context, the way James meant it to be understood, you'll kind of miss the big picture. I was telling Mark yesterday that I think that the book of James should be taught completely in one day. <laughs> That's how it was read. That's how it was understood. It was a sermon. It's a flow of ideas. So that, because when you read the book of James, there's several ideas repeated over and over again. And some of the themes James has is what you think and what you do should pair up. How you speak and how you act should match. Perfection through trial. Love in the midst of trial. These are themes that, J that James will repeat over and over again. And so today when we are in James 2, 1 through 7, which is the first half of what I'm going to talk about here, or the first third, we have to understand its context. The sin of partiality is really talking about the self-centered life. It's talking about life... So if I could characterize this section, I would say faith versus law. Which is not to say that the law is evil, because the law is good, Scripture tells us. The law shows us how righteous God is. It shows us how wicked we are, and it keeps evil in check. But if you live under the Mosaic law, then you will not, you will not live the life of promise. God has called us to the life of faith which is that thing beyond what the law can do that only Christ can do in us. And when we don't live in promise, in faith, in liberty, that is that liberty which gives us the grace to love one another and die, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, then we live in death. And what James is doing in this book is frequently saying, now you can live like that, and this is what it will produce. Like when Paul says in Romans, hey, 
Those who sow to death, to the flesh, they reap these rewards, and those who sow to life reap these rewards. Nobody here is saying whether you're a Christian or not. What he's saying is you believers, if you live according to the flesh, you will reap carnality and death and frustration. Romans 8.22 says that God has bound this earth in frustration to decay. The law of entropy is at work. And if you live under the sun in that realm, never under heaven, then you will reap what you sow. I, I, I used to feel very threatened by these scriptures that I was scared for my salvation. And part of the problem there, as I've said before, is because we've reduced Christianity to a get-out-of-jail-free card, keep the policy active by staying away from sin, and then what can we get from God? Instead of engaging in the text that says this is a, a letter from our Father in Heaven teaching us how to become like Himself, that we're already, that our insurance policy was paid a long time ago, and that's not the point. Amen. The point is a debt of love. The point is forgetting about, you know, I was, uh, I was reworking some things on this text this morning, and I had to pray, speaking of, and say, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about me. And I mean, I prayed intensely. I said, this is for them, Lord. This is for them, for them, for them. This is my act of love, to give you the scripture. It's not about me. This is not a self-centered moment up here that I have to worry about looking good and getting my text right. This is about giving myself over to something else. And when I prayed that prayer, it was, it was freedom. That is the law of liberty that we will get to today. That is the freedom that the scripture speaks of. When you forget yourself. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, a poor man in shabby clothing comes in. And if you pray atten pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, you have, not made, you have made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. It is my habit when I'm teaching to recite the scriptures again, to refocus where we're at. And I wrote in my notes here, according to sinful hearts. That's what, that's what happens when we become judges. See, that's what the, the law does. It inflames sin in your heart. And when you're operating in under the sun, in that realm, the law inflames your wickedness and you become a judge. You, you don't become uh, someone who sets someone free. You become someone who judges and condemns people. Now, I'm all about judging and making assessments. If you don't make assessments and make judgments, you're in trouble. But I am about, you know, let's not jump so quickly to condemn. Because I think your heart's in the wrong place when that's the case. When you're looking and scoping and figuring things out because it makes you angry when things aren't the way you want. I think you're in trouble. In fact, you were uh, talking about the West Coast today and all that. And y'all know my little motto, be patient, loving, and kind. Um, and, and, the, and the term imprecatory prayers came to mind. And you know, you know what I thought? I said, you know, I am not mature enough to pray an imprecatory prayer. I'm just not. I'm too wicked to understand and to love God and, and be zealous for his household 
and for the truth of God to be cast, that I can pray a precatory prayer the way I think it was supposed to pray. I think that the, uh, uh, you know, and that just dawned on me this morning, I think it takes maturity to pray in precatory prayers. I think most people, when they discover what one is in the first place, then they figure out, well, then how do I use it? And they jump in and, and do it. And I say to myself, wow, is that wisdom? Are you really that mature that you can pray it without being an angry person? Or are you praying it the way Christ would pray it, with zeal for his household? I mean heartfelt zeal for his household. Not, I'm angry at those liberals. But because you are so impassioned for the glory of God. You know, my prayer with my wife is, Father, let this country understand truth. And I understand that if they don't, he will turn his back on us. He will hand us over to things that are not good. According to sinful hearts, we make these judgments. We look at people, we categorize them. Someone walks in who has money, and that's an important person. We don't want to lose that one. Now, uh, we all know that's horrible, but we all at some point in our lives do it. And it may have nothing to do with someone with money, just someone we like better than the other guy, someone who looks more like us. And that's, that's not a racial comment, that's like how they dress comment. You know, what kind of church do they go to? What do they look like? Tall, short, carrying a few extra pounds or not. You know, we make these judgments. This is where we live, you know. The, ju- the, the scripture says that uh, King David was ruddy and, and handsome. And we make judgments. You know, if you're handsome or if you're pretty, you'll get a job easier than other people will. I used to go to this church uh, years ago, and I, after a while it became obvious what was going on um, in, the, in the culture of the church, and we used to call it the church of the good-looking. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, man, there, there are things that, that don't seem right here. Um, and holiness seemed to not be present. 1 Corinthians 3, 2, and 4, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You see, that's under the sun. You are still carnal. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not, are you not of the flesh? And here's the line, behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paul, are you not being merely human? Do you want to be merely human today? That's the point. You want to just be merely human, because that's easy. That's what we, we're already there. We, it doesn't take anything to be that. God is calling us to be something other than what we are. He's calling us into the divine life, the law of liberty. Galatians 4, 8 to 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. To those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Remember that little introduction? When we all go to school and we figure out who we are and who we're not? Those are the elementary principles of the world. That's that thing that that, that forms your thoughts about who you are. 
That's like, so when the ugly duckling grows up to be a handsome individual, he doesn't realize it anymore because he's so used to thinking of himself as an ugly duckling. And probably by the design of God so that he could be used. You know, that's a misconcept. Oh, man, if that guy got saved, God could really use him for the kingdom. That's an elementary principle of the world. That's you thinking like a human being, not like God. Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. You just act like a mere human being. So James is presenting us with a picture of something. But in verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? No, that's a breath of fresh air right there. That's what James does. See, he has an antithesis there. He says, ugly, flesh, carnal, heavenly. Very nice. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, not in money? I can testify to that. In faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised. Not which you have earned or are capable of doing, which he has promised. You can study the Bible and read it all day long and know what you're doing and be the sharpest guy in the room and you've got the, you've got the Old Testament memorized. You can be like the rabbis. That's not living in the promise. That just makes you a little more arrogant than the next guy. Maybe, I don't know. Unless you're using that gun right with some wisdom and you know how to be quiet with all that knowledge... Maybe you're the dumbest guy in the room, and it's obvious to everybody but you. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Do you really want to be like that? That's what James says. Do you really want to be like that? Galatians 3.22, but Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised... Not earned, being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. If you believe, Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, as opposed to according to the flesh. Galatians 4.23, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. So who are you today? Are you born of the flesh or are you born of the divine promise? And James is speaking to the children of God. And he's trying to say, hey, you are children of the promise. Act like it. Believe it. Rest in it. See, that's what faith is. Faith is not not the, you know ethereal moment where you can get your emotions aligned up with what you want. (laughs) Faith is that moment when you give up and rest and believe and so act and do. So now we can finally understand what James wants to tell us. 
Now, if I just read all that scripture, and Jesus doesn't, I mean, uh, James doesn't mention the word love once in that section, does he? And this is, what, this is what wisdom literature is trying to do. It's showing you one thing, and then it's giving you something else so you can get the nugget in the middle. James chapter 2, verse 8. If you fulfill the, law, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. That's the target zone here, guys. That's what James is trying to get at. How do I know that? Because Jesus made it such a big deal. Because the whole Bible is built around the concept of the golden rule. It's the royal law. It's the king's law. It's everything wrapped up in one statement. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest... And first commandment. Now, it said great. I did add the E-S-T. But it is true. Because they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. So everything you know, all the good things you do are second to that. They're second place. They're useless if you don't have the first in order. Now, I don't want to be extreme about the word useless. Good things are good things. But what I'm saying is you can be a clanging symbol and you can know lots of things, 1 Corinthians 13, but without love, you're a hollow shell. You know, without love, you know what you are. You're a predator. You're an executioner and a judge. That's what you are without love. If you just want to show somebody something because you're mad, that's what you are. Now you're an executioner. Now you're a judge. Now you're a mean guy. And that doesn't mean, you know, when we use terms like that, that you're a mean guy, what I'm not saying is that's a mean person and that's who he is, done. That, then, then I become the judge. What I really mean is when you do that, you're a mean guy. So let's get you turned around. This is like anybody who's ever played sports. This is what a coach would tell you. Hey, when you're doing that, son, you're useless. I might as well put you on the bench. He's not telling that guy that so that he can put him on the bench. He's telling it to him because he's a player in the game. Turn around. Let's get you in the right position so we can win. This is the book of James. The book of James is not here to assault you. It's here to shape you. Praise God. I I mean, I, I so didn't understand the book of James until I actually had to preach it. I mean, it's amazing. <clears throat> Matthew 7, verses 12. I little, my little uh, hypothetical, um, parenthetical, the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Leviticus 19 and 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So James, after telling us about partiality versus promise, sums it up in the royal law. And he's going to give us more contrast again. But he he sums it up. He funnels it in. I mean, it's almost a chiasm. But it's wisdom literature, so I wouldn't call it that necessarily. But this text is going and draining into the royal law 
And then the royal law spills out onto the bottom half of this page. He says, you do well. If you practice the royal law according to the scriptures, you do well. In other words, so you love the Lord in keeping with the law. This is good for you. It's good for your neighbor. It puts others first. It exercises you in selflessness. You do good. That's a great. You receive grace and mercy when you love. It's a win-win situation when we love one another. Amen. And what is love? Love is not you. Just remember, love is not you. It's, it's them. It's, I'm sorry, it's for them. Some people say it's all you. That ain't me. Love is never a negotiation. It's something you do. Love is conditional, but it's not a negotiation. There are times when God will remove his love, but that's not our prerogative. Our prerogative is, is to love and let the Lord of heaven and earth decide what to do with it. At least that's a safe zone for us wicked humans. Is it always that way? 100% of the time, no, but that's not, that's not how wisdom is. Wisdom teaches you generally how to do things. Raise a child in the way he should go, and when he's to hold, he will not depart from that way. Does that mean that if you raise a child right, he will never depart from that way? No, it's good advice. It's truth from heaven. Raise your child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he will not depart in it. That leaves room for the sovereign God of the universe to decide what he's going to do with the wisdom you imparted in that child. See, that's how wisdom literature works. That's how loving one another works. You know, it's easy for us in our, in our wickedness to say, well, they're bad now, so we can withdraw our love. Well, that's you being God in Romans chapter 1. <laughs> that's you deciding not to help people on the way. You know, uh, how, many, how many homes were abandoned? Two, three hundred thousand, you said? Five hundred thousand. I think that's more than the hurricane that just hit in Lake Charles by a long shot. And that was a devastating little storm that just hit Lake Charles. There are 100,000 people that still don't have electricity. Big old power lines, the big metal poles for miles have been knocked down. So do, 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 we, do we look at the West Coast and go, well, that's what they deserve. You know, it's okay for you to say that. But not if you, but you must then turn around and love them. After you say that, I mean, if I see someone getting what they deserve, that's okay. I can, I, you know, I'm, I'm here to assess and make judgments about all things and rightly divide the truth. That, may, that gives me the opportunity to jump in there and love them. That's the way it works. That, that's not what I like, okay? I'm not up here telling you what makes me feel gushy and mushy. I'm not here to tell you that that was easy to say or do. I'm not here to tell you that, ah, uh, now we can love them. It, it don't work that way. I remember my, my wife asking me a long time ago, well, when you love your enemies, what does that mean? I said, well, it means acting in consistency with what love would do, not waiting for mushy feelings to come. Right. You know, earthly love is, I'll love you if you love me. Earthly love is a 50-50 negotiation. Earthly marriage is, I'll do for you, you do for me. I give to you, you give to me. Divine love says... I'm going to give 100%, and I don't care what you think of me. I've said it to my wife when we had some struggles years ago. I said, you know, 
not that I, she was hating my guts, but <laughs> I was pulling the extreme, and I said, you know, you could hate my guts, and I'm going to consider it an honor and a privilege to love you and to die for you. Now, that, those are the kind of things you say in the heat and the fury of, of um, matrimonial bliss. Um, it's why we trade places with those we love it's why the apostle Paul said if I could I would give myself for the people of Israel (laughs) I don't know that I'm mature enough to say that I pray I'm mature enough to say that for my own family that's hard we love because it is right because it is holy, because it is beautiful, and because it glorifies our Father in heaven. We love because He first loved us. Sin of partiality is the low life. The sin of faith is the high life. When I was first designing this, uh, you know, you work with outlines, and I, and I, thought, I thought of the Miller Life High Life commercial, you know, the beer commercial. There's the Miller High Life, and I'm like, no, that's the Miller Low Life. The divine life is the high life. The sin of partiality is a transgression of the royal law. And so how does that work? If I break the law in this one little area, that I'm guilty of all of it. Verses 9 and 10, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And I remember reading these scriptures um, at one point, and sometimes at several points, saying, boy, that's, that's hard. How's that work? Scratching my head. So if I do this one thing, I'm guilty of the whole law. I don't get that. Once again, James is, is probing us to think. Think about what he's saying. For he, in verse 11, who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So take your pick. You're a transgressor of the law, James is saying. So to break the law means that I'm breaking the first commandment from the next... uh, I'm sorry. To break the law means I am breaking the first commandment from which the next three come. So in other words, if I don't love the Lord with all my heart, I'm breaking the next three commandments. And if I don't love my neighbor as myself, I'm breaking the next six commandments. It's no mystery. He uses murder and adultery. Man made in the image of God is an assault on the Lord. Adultery is an assault on the assault on the relationship founded in love. <clears throat> Partiality is not loving your neighbor as yourself. The sins of murder and adultery are sins that emanate from not loving your neighbor. And they too are transgressions of the law, the royal law. It's like a golden chain. Whoever shall have kept the whole law and yet shall have offended in one little point is hereby guilty of all. The law is one seamless garment or one golden chain, which if it's rent just in part or a musical harmony which is spoiled, if there be one discordant note, that was a beautiful song, except for that one spot, you know. Can you imagine you're listening to a symphony and, and all of a sudden, you've just ruined the whole song. What do you mean you ruined the whole song with one note? Yep. In fact, the conductor's going to say, stop, let's start again. That, that's not going to be a take. 
If you break just one chain, the whole chain is broken. Now, here's the thing about that chain. And this is why this is so important. And I think this is why the Holy Spirit, through James, tells us this. What's the most important law? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So which is worse? It's, it's, it's not even understood that way. Which is worse, murder or not loving the Lord your God with all your heart? Believe it or not, not loving the Lord your God with all your heart. Because you know why you murder? Because you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart. You get that first one straight, you won't murder anybody. <laughs> but it doesn't seem that way, does it? They don't give you the death penalty for not loving the Lord God with all your heart. But, wow, that's a scary thought. But God does. Wow. Imagine that. Finally, give me liberty to give me death is, is my title. And I think that we're starting to understand why I chose that title and what it really means. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty. And if you can't give me liberty, I'd rather die. But what I'm saying is, Give me liberty, and if I don't act and operate in liberty, I will operate in death. Once again, James is not trying to tell you whether you're going to heaven or hell. He's trying to tell you what kind of life you're going to live and who you're going to glorify and what it's going to look like. You want a church that's peaceful and harmonious? I, I, I wish I'd have pulled it up and put it in here. You know, one of the sins God hates is when you disharmonize the community. When you, when you produce behavior that brings disharmony to God's people. It's the seventh sin. Six sins I hate, seven that are detestable unto me. Verse 12, it says, so speak. Now this is James doing what he always does. He's connecting speaking and doing, thinking and acting. It all has to come together. You can't separate these two. You're not complete, lacking nothing. Verse 12 says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. It's application. Amen? That's what wisdom is. It's how to apply God's word. Application of speaking and acting, demonstrating as those who've experienced mercy. So you've experienced mercy. You've experienced grace. Now we have to demonstrate it. As if you are one who has received mercy. We are judged more strictly or with more scrutiny as to our sanctification. But under grace in our justification. So sometimes God will bring you to the woodshed. But he'll never cast you out of the house. You're a son. You're a daughter. But because you are a son or a daughter, God gives us more scrutiny because he loves us. I bring those things up because a couple uh, scriptures later, uh, he talks about, um, so as we speak and act, we need to keep the vision of judgment day before us in the sense that God says, those who show no mercy, they don't receive it. So if you want to treat people like trash, just get ready, it's coming back. It's like a boomerang. You don't want to treat people mercifully. Yes, they won't treat you mercifully either. Galatians 5, 1, uh, 15, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to your passion, slavery to 
the, the basic principles of this world. Christ has set you free. Now that's an oxymoron to the, to the human mind. Free to do what? Free to die. Free to love. God has called you to freedom. Just free to love somebody. And what is loving? Loving is being selfless. It means dying to what you prefer. Considering others better than yourself. Preferring others over you. Galatians 3.13, 2.15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Brother Mark gave us earlier. He stole my thunder. No, not, not my thunder. But through love... See, freedom and love here are put together. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And that's, that's why I included 1 Corinthians 1 today, because that's all about division in the church. And then Paul quickly comes behind that, that text and says, now let's be wise about this. We're eating and devouring each other. Let's be wise about this. Let's start putting God's word into our hearts that we may demonstrate the love of God. If there is a law of liberty, then the antithesis is true. There is a law of bondage. Paul calls this law the law of sin and death. And here we see the principle of reaping and sowing. So just as the royal law glorifies the Lord and liberates both neighbor and oneself, so the law of sin and death frustrates oneself and neighbors. It's just, it's a lose-lose situation. How do you want to live today? Win-win or lose-lose? It puts both oneself and others under oppression and bondage in a downward spiral of death. So, coming back to what I've already said, speak and act as men who are to be judged by the law of freedom. There is but one cure, and that's why James, he kind of sews up, he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you know, James could have started the whole thing by saying, hey, you know what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And he could have given us a systematic idea of what that means. But there is another way to communicate that idea through pictures, contrasts, and synonymous ideas. And that's the beauty of the book of James if you really get, let it get in there. So today, as we consider our way let us not be mere men. Let us not act like just typical humans. Now, boy, that's a nice way to just sum up a sermon, isn't it? So let's just go out and be perfect. Well, it doesn't work that way, but let's just hear the good advice from our Savior today. Let us learn that, that really the end game here is death to my wicked nature so that I might live in the liberty and the freedom that Christ gives me. You know, that's a kind of a graduation process. You learn to die more and more. And as you learn to die more and more, you grow more and more. And uh, I think that's true. We never stop learning. We never get to that nexus point where we go, I got it down, and I never have to trust the Lord. You know, you've had four kids, and then you have a fifth, and you think you've got it down because you already crossed that bridge four times. And then you all... <laughs> He says, no, it don't work that way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you find yourself back in some of those same hot spots, having to trust the Lord. I'm, I'm doing things in ministry I've never done before, and I thought uh, once, you know, you get used to doing things, it's going to get a little easier. And then there's another challenge, and you go, man. 
And it's frustrating to your carnal nature to have to quit and trust the Lord. That is very frustrating and very difficult for your carnal nature. It's not until you let go with both arms and live in promise that you actually experience freedom, liberty. And so that's why James calls this, look into the law of liberty. It's a unique kind of phrase that James has. So I pray that somewhere in that wisdom, in that advice, we can grow in Christ today and, and act and do in according to his word. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.